during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. Great characters in the Bible are often described using a multitude of different names. And so, for instance, we look at Jesus. He's called Jesus. He's called the Son of God. He's called the Son of Man. He's called Emmanuel. He's called the Lamb of God. Many different names for Jesus. And all of them tell us something different about who he is and what he does. Likewise, Satan is one of the major characters of the Bible, and Satan is known as Satan. He's called the devil, he's called the serpent, he's called Beelzebub, he's called Azazel. And so we have a number of different names for Satan, each one of them telling us something different about who he is. In the Bible, the Antichrist is known as the Antichrist, the king of the north, uh, we find him as the beast of Revelation 13, the great harlot of Revelation uh, chapter 17, the man of sin in Thessalonians. And in Daniel chapter 7, the Antichrist is described as a little horn. And we're going to study today the identity of the Antichrist. And of course, this is a very important subject. If we go over to Revelation chapter 13, we find the very strongest warning that is found anywhere in the Bible, the strongest language ever used. Here in verse 9, the Bible says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out undiluted into the cup of his indignation. Nowhere in scripture will you find a stronger warning than that. And yet what fascinates me is that in our world today, we find so many Christians who speculate about who the Antichrist might be rather than knowing exactly who it is. When I read something like this, it seems to me that if God has not revealed to us the exact identity of the Antichrist, then we're in deep trouble. And God is playing a cruel joke on us if that evidence is not right here. So in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to go over there and we are going to study the subject of the Antichrist today, primarily from Daniel chapter 7. The first thing that we are going to notice is the structure of apocalyptic prophecy. This is how God brings to us end time prophecy. And it's called the principle of repeat and enlarge. And so the book of Daniel has four prophecies. You have Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, and Daniel 10 through 12. And each one of these prophecies follows exactly the same sequence. It begins, you know, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, divided nations, second coming. That's Daniel 2. You have four different metals, four different nations. You go to Daniel 7. You've got four different animals. The Bible says in Daniel 7, uh, let's look at it very quickly, that each one of these animals, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth, or kingdoms, as it says right here in verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. And so you've got these four beasts. They are four kingdoms. And so we had four metals, now we have four beasts. Of course, after Babylon falls and is no longer relevant, in Daniel 8 and 9, in Daniel 10 through 12, you find that that one is missed out and you've just got the three. So you've got this same sequence that is working your way down through. And when we come to Daniel chapter 7, as we work our way down to the fourth beast, which of course 
as it lines up with Daniel 2, is going to symbolize the Roman Empire, Imperial Rome. This is the description that it is given to us. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And so here we're introduced to a beast that really is not something that any of us have ever seen before. In fact, if you've ever seen one of these walking down the street or if you've ever seen one, you know, even in a zoo somewhere, then let us know and we will we'll find some help for you. Okay, but no, this is not a real creature that we have right here. This is what we often describe as the nondescript beast. Now, of course, it's a great example of the Roman Empire. You know, it was three times bigger than any of the empires that were before. It was, it lasted three times longer. It was, you know, the prototype of all globalist empires that have, you know, tried to exist from that point to this. What is interesting about the Roman Empire is that it is described here as having ten horns. Now, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 that is given to Daniel comes to us in two parts. All of the prophecies in Daniel are like this. It begins with the prophecy and then the angel Gabriel comes and gives an explanation of the prophecy. And so if we move between the prophecy and the explanation, we are going to learn clues. What are these ten horns? The Bible says in verse 24, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings or kingdoms that will arise, another will arise after them, and he will be different from the first and subdue three kings. And it's that little one that comes up later that the Bible describes as being the Antichrist. We need to look at what does the Bible say about it? Now, the easy way to identify who the Antichrist is, is to simply read everything the Bible has to say about the Antichrist and make a list of identifying characteristics. And when you find that entity that fulfills every single uh, identifying characteristic that the Bible gives to us, then you know that you have found the Antichrist. It is really that simple. And this is a subject we need to be studying. So let's start at making our list. In verse 8, the Bible says, I considered the horns. So he's looking at the ten horns that have come out of the head of this fourth beast of imperial Rome. I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn. Before, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. What we're going to find here is that the identifying characteristics that we are given in this verse and in the verses that come after it to the little horn are the same identifying characteristics that you are going to find applied to the Antichrist throughout the various prophecies in the Bible that refer to the Antichrist. That's why we know that this is another picture, another vision of the Antichrist that we are dealing with right here. The first clue we have is that this little horn comes up amongst the ten horns out of the head of the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7. We have already noted that the ten horns, verse 24, are ten kingdoms that will arise out of 
this beast. And so what we have to do is we have to look at imperial Rome. We have to ask ourselves the question, okay, when did this empire collapse? When did it disintegrate? And what did it disintegrate into? Well, the Western Roman Empire that was ruled over by the city of Rome. When it collapsed, collapsed about the year 476 AD, it disintegrated initially into 10 separate nations. Seven of those nations are the foundational nations of modern day Europe today. And three of them are pretty much basically just you know, gone without a trace. And the Bible actually talks about it right here. Okay, the little horn is going to come up amongst those 10 nations. Now, right here we have our first clue because the Bible has given us our geographical location for the rise of the Antichrist. It is going to rise out of the head of the fourth beast, that is imperial Rome. We know Antichrist is going to rise out of imperial Rome. It's that simple. Not only has it given us the geographical place on the earth where to look for the rise of the Antichrist, but the Bible has given us a time frame for the rise of the Antichrist because the Bible says that it comes up amongst the ten horns. In other words, the Antichrist is going to rise to power after Imperial Rome has divided into ten separate nations. In other words, it's going to rise to power after 476 AD. But more than that, as it comes to power, the Bible says it will tear out three of those initial horns. So we we ask ourselves, we have a time period now of after the ten horns have come to power, but before three of those initial ten have been destroyed or wiped out their power taken away from them. There's our first couple of clues. That's going to give us a time frame of between the year 476 and the year 538. What we're going to find is that the power of the last of those three horns, those three nations that were destroyed, is broken at about the year 538 AD. Now, you might say, well, that's a very, very long time ago. Some people come to me with a question and say, I thought that the Antichrist was a power that would only appear at the very end of time. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is crystal clear that the Antichrist was right there in John's day. He speaks about it in 1 John. And in Paul's day, he speaks about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he states that the Antichrist in his day is there, but it is being hidden. It is being veiled. But it's going to appear in the future. And that is what we have taking place here in these verses. The Bible says, goes on to say here that it will have a mouth speaking Great things. What does that actually mean? The Bible gives us a definition. There is a parallel prophecy in Revelation 13 about the beast. And once again, in Revelation chapter 13, where the Bible speaks about the beast, you have the same identifying characteristics as you have in Revelation 13, in Daniel chapter 7. And here the Bible defines for us what it means to speak great things. Revelation chapter 13 and the Bible says in verse 5, There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Well, what does that mean to speak blasphemies? Well, if we go back to the book of Mark, we can find a first century definition for what blasphemy was. And the first thing that Jesus says in verse 5 is, His son, your sins are forgiven you. There were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? In the first century, in the time that the Bible was written, blasphemy was considered to be 
doing something that only God could do or claiming to be God yourself. You know, over in the Gospel of John, if we go to John, Jesus says, I and my father are one. And the Jews took up stones to throw at him. And Jesus said, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. So here we are introduced to an entity that arises vastly different from the previous ones before it. This particular entity is described in the Bible as a horn and as a beast. Those are both symbols of a nation or a state. In Revelation chapter 13, this entity is described as a woman, an impure woman. That's a symbol of a church. But the Bible goes on to describe it even further and says, this is a church that will claim to be God. So far, we have found that the Antichrist will arise out of imperial Rome between 476 and 538 AD, uproot three nations in coming to power and claim the power to be able to forgive sins. If we now go down to the explanation of the prophecy, Daniel is really keen to understand uh, more information about this entity. And in verse 20, the Bible describes his appearance as being stronger or more powerful than the other horns. Now, that's an interesting context. You see, the Bible describes this one as the little horn. So we know this is going to be a small nation that exerts tremendous power. So small, that is also big, is what the Bible describes the Antichrist as being. But it doesn't stop there because in verse 21, it goes on and it says, and the same horn made war with the saints, with God's people, and prevailed against them. Till the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Praise God for that. The good thing about this prophecy is that it ends well for God's people. Aren't you glad? Well, it continues on and we need to find some more identifying characteristics right here. The Bible says that the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth. It will be different from all the others. Then in verse 10, the ten, verse 24, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that will arise. Another will arise after them. He will be different from the first and he will be, and he will subdue three kings. Notice the Bible says this is a different kind of nation that rises to power. This is a nation that has a religious agenda. This is a nation that is also described as being a church in the Bible. It's not just a political power. It's a union of church and state together coming out of the old Roman Empire. The Bible makes it so clear and so easy to understand who this is. Continues on, verse 25, he will speak great words against the Most High. We've already read about that. He will wear out the saints of the Most High, persecute God's people, and he will think that he can change times and laws. Now, of course, if these were his laws, he would simply change them. But when it comes to God's laws, you can think you can, but you can't actually do so because you can't go to heaven and sit on God's throne. The Bible says the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. That's one way of saying one year, two years and half a year. In the Bible, the Bible describes a day as symbolizing a year and a biblical year is 360 days long. Therefore, you have a period here of 1,260 days in total, 
which gives you a period of 1,260 years. That's a rather long period of time. Once again, people are like, huh? I thought that the Antichrist only existed for a short space at the end of time. Well, guess what? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Antichrist has been here in the past, he is here in the present, and he will be here in the future, and that he persecuted God's people for a very, very extensive period of time. 1,260 years is what we have here. If you've got questions about this, because I know that we are rushing through it, you can put your comments um, below here in uh, in the section below or at the end of the show. We will have a number where you can place your comments. Moving on, how does that long time period come to an end? The Bible describes it in Revelation chapter 13. You have an extra detail given right here in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, to verse 3, the Bible says, I saw this is the beast, one of his heads as it were, wounded to death. That's a fatal wound right there. His deadly wound was then healed and all the world wondered or marveled at the beast and they worshipped the dragon which gave power to the beast. They worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And so here we are introduced to the Antichrist, a list of crystal clear identifying characteristics. We need to ask, who is it? But before we answer that question, there are a couple of important points I need to make. Your salvation is not based on your citizenship, either to a nation or a church. Your salvation is found in Jesus Christ. You see, there are other beasts in the Bible that do terrible things. The Bible prophesies about the United States, for instance. That will come up further in this series. You need to watch the full series through. Does that then mean that everyone who is a citizen of the United States is automatically lost just because they're a citizen of that country? Of course not. Sharissa's husband is from the United States. My wife is from the United States. They are not lost because they are US citizens and their their nation is mentioned in the Bible as being a beast. And it is exactly the same with this. This is a state, this is a nation, this is a country, this is a church that has many people in it who love Jesus, have given their lives to him and are on their way to heaven. However, the Bible is speaking about the system and when the Bible is speaking about the system, the identity here cannot be escaped. It can only be the Vatican or what we refer to often as the Roman Catholic Church. You see, this is not a part of the nation of Italy as we would consider it. It is its own separate country today. Now, that's a big statement. I know that's a big statement. We need to go back through our identifying characteristics, cover some history, ask some questions. Does it fulfill every identifying characteristic that the Bible gives? And if we go to Daniel chapter 7, we find that we start here. The Bible says that it would arise out of imperial Rome, that it would arise to power, after 476, after Imperial Rome has been divided into 10 separate nations, and that it would uproot three of those nations in coming to power. The first emperor to make Christianity the state religion was Constantine. The other thing of note that he did was move the seat of the empire from the city of Constantinople, from the city of Rome, to the city of Constantinople. That left a political vacuum in the West, and Western Rome disintegrated as a result. By the time you come down to the Emperor Justinian, 
There are a number of events that are taking place in the world. The bishops of the major cities are in a, locked in a dispute over who is the number one bishop, along with this power vacuum that exists in the West. And Justinian dis- decides the problem. He solves it very, very simply by a decree. He decrees that the Bishop of Rome is the number one bishop in the world and also at the same time gives to him political power. Now, of course, political power is what you need if you are going to actually have a judicial system that you can use to persecute people. Now, the problem was the decree was made in 533, but it didn't come into effect until the year 538 because it wasn't until 538 that the last of those three nations that were opposing this decree from coming into effect were pushed out of Rome and the uh, Eastern Bishop was able to be installed there as the Pope and thus we have the beginning of our 1260-year prophecy right there in 538. We're going to look at more detail of that as we go down through. The Bible says that this would be a little horn and of course the Vatican is a tiny nation But it's little, but it's big because it exerts worldwide global influence over our world today and particularly did so down through the Dark Ages. Now, of course, you have auricular confession and many statements by the popes in which they claim both the power to be able to forgive sins and even change God's mind in relationship to the sins that we commit and other claims where they say, well, you know, we actually hold the place of God on this earth Um, and you need to follow us as you're following God. Once again, if you've got questions about this, the research is freely and readily available. Send us your comments, send us your questions, and we can share that with you. That's just simply history. And by the way, we would not dare to quote from anybody but Roman Catholic sources themselves. That would be unfair of us to do so. The Bible goes on and says that its appearance was stronger than its fellows, and that reminds me of how the Vatican ruled during the Dark Ages. You know, when you consider that long period of persecution, Christian-on-Christian persecution, where about between 50 or 150 million people lost their lives because they believed in this book and they believed in salvation by grace alone and they did not accept the authority of the popes who claimed to have the power of God here on this earth. That long period of persecution was a period in which the popes were able to rule by interdict. In other words, they could take their keys, they could close the gate of heaven, and they could open the gates of eternal hellfire and condemn condemn an entire nation with the stroke of a pen to eternal hellfire. Henry IV of the Holy Roman Empire, most powerful nation in the world today, was placed under interdict. He was so terrified that he went to visit the pope who was wintering at the castle of Canossa. This is, you know, this is the guy who is the equivalent of the modern day Donald Trump. He is the most powerful individual on the planet in his day. And when he arrives to see the Pope, the Pope says, no, no, you are not worthy to see my face. You stand outside in the snow here. Where's this gunny sack? And when you have become worthy to see me, then you can come in. And here you have Henry IV of the Holy Roman Empire who stood out there for three days in the snow before he could gain an audience with the Pope. That is a phenomenal amount of power. That is a nation whose look 
The Bible says what was more powerful than its fellows. We have mentioned the persecution that took place during the dark ages where Christians were fighting Christians. But the Bible goes on and here in verse 25 it says, He will speak great words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. What is interesting to me is if you take the Ten Commandments, the eternal constitution of the government of God as they are found in the Bible, and here is a challenge for you. If you don't believe me, take the Ten Commandments and put them down beside the Ten Commandments as they are listed in the Roman Catholic Catechism. This is what you will find. You will find that one of those laws has been changed. That two times in relationship to that law have been changed. And one of those, another one of those laws has been deleted entirely to make up for it, because you can't really have the nine commandments. They've taken the tenth commandment and split it in two. Now, to, to think that you can change the one part of the Bible, the only part of the Bible that was personally written by God Himself, that's pretty bold. Well, the Bible goes on and it says that this will last for 1,260 years and we can see the power, the political power being given to the Vatican in the year 538 when the Ostrogoths are driven out of Rome. Well, if you go five, if you go 1,260 years from there, here's what you'll find. You'll find Napoleon who goes down into Rome, he takes the Pope off his throne and he abolishes the papal government, proclaims that there will never be another Pope, sends him into exile, a deadly wound. Imagine if, you know, a French general did that today or a French prime minister did that today. The world would be be in uproar. But in those days, the Vatican had had, had receded to such a low point There wasn't a nation on the planet, not Spain, not South America, not even Italy itself, who would stand up in defense of the church. Commentators of the time shrugged their shoulders and decreed that the Vatican was done, it was over, it was finished, it was dead, was the language that they used. But my question to you is this, have things changed since then? And by the way, this happened, as the Bible says, exactly on time. There was a decree made in 533. It came into effect in 538. There was a decree made by the French Parliament to abolish the papal government in 1793. It came into effect in 1798. God has given you a dual fulfillment of that time period just so that we can be doubly sure that we have the correct interpretation. Papacy received a deadly wound. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, that wound will heal. And when it does, every person on this planet will be implicated by what happens. Because the Bible says, all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, slain from the foundation of the world, will worship the beast, will worship the Antichrist. Friends, the very simple answer to this Dilemma for us right now when we look out at our world and we see the global power of the Vatican being exercised is this. 
The wound has been healed. You can't even see the scar tissue anymore. Jesus is coming soon. How do we avoid the trials, the temptations that are coming in the future? The answer is so simple. We must have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Who is the Lamb? It is Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. And I said that this prophecy ends in the best possible way because at the end of the prophecy, the Bible says in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 7, I saw in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man came in the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him. There was given to him dominion, glory, a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. The contrast is found in verse 26 because we find the dominion and the kingdom and the greatness of the kingdom given to Jesus Christ. Then in verse 26, the Bible says, the judgment will sit. This is the explanation now. And they will take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Well, in one verse it said it was given to Jesus. In the other verse it says it's given to the saints. That's you and I. That's those of us who have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. How can that be possible? Well, the answer is very simple and it is found in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit itself bears witness without spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Friends, we serve a Savior who loves us so much. He came to this earth and gave his life so that he could spend eternity with us. But that wasn't good enough. He's like, what else can I give them? You know what? I'm going to give them the whole universe here. This is my gift to you is what Jesus says. Take it. Receive it by my grace. Won't you make that decision today? You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.